The spirit world is very mysterious, but so is love. Help yourself to some tea and cakes. They are spirit cakes, so you won't gain any weight. Of course, you won't lose any either. This part of the spirit world isn't so scary. My teapot! That's right. It was yours long, long ago. When you were Avatar 1, you used it to carry the light spirit Rava around until the two of you became one. It's my favorite thing I've found here. You know, when you make tea in it, you can still taste a little light in every cup. Welcome back to the Bitter Jurors Podcast. We are a queer Legend of Korra superfan podcast. Uh, as always, I'm one of your hosts, Derek Grining, and I am joined by someone, you know, if you look for the light, you can often find him. It's Sam Stanish. Yay, light! <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, and, you know, we are joined by someone who, you know, um, if you uh, take him up the mountain, he may or may not turn into a giant flying golden bird. It's Sean McGowan. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. It's very exciting. Yes, of course. Uh, sorry, I couldn't remember one of Iroh's 10 million other aphorisms he gives in this episode <laughs> to give you. But, um, you know, that's just what he does now, I guess. They've been storing them up. They've. I feel like every episode they came up with one, they were like, and if Iroh were here, this is what he would say. And then mm-hmm. in this episode, they unleash them all. Yes. I think he speaks almost entirely in aphorisms the entire time. I don't think he has one <laughs> straightforward word of exposition or just normal dialogue (laughs) not like a hey how's it going sort of no no, it's always just like if you seek bad things you will find the bad things but think on the bright side of life i don't fucking know um whatever he's up to but yeah so um we're here to talk about uh book two episode are we nine ten what are we on ten ten yes we're in the double dig uh of book two um and we're talking about a new spiritual age is the title of this episode a new spiritual age with a new spiritual guest. Sean, you've never mm-hmm. been on the uh, Avatar or Legend of Korra pod before, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, just to intro, Sean and I met in college. We mm-hmm. love. Uh, and I just let just give our listeners a bit of backstory on who like you, you and like how you got into Avatar and what your background there is. Sure. Um, so yeah, as Sam said, we met in college doing comedy. Um, and for, I was one of those people, I, I feel like a lot of Avatar and Legend of Korra fans, um, like grew up watching it when it was like live, um, and like being released. And I know a lot of people have described it as like, oh, this was like the first show that like, I felt was like, like I was following and I was, was like really connecting with. And I understand the television shows are like meaningful medium and art and not just like something I like put on. Um, but I missed the boat on like all of that and didn't like, I didn't have any, like, I didn't have cable growing up, so I didn't have like Nickelodeon or anything like that. So I didn't discover it until, uh, college actually was when I first watched, um, Avatar. And then I didn't watch Korra until, gosh, like a couple years after. So I think my first Korra watch was probably like 2017, 2018 or something like that. It was all on like Amazon Prime. And I remember just like just binging all of it for, oh gosh, like just whatever. Like I literally just just come home from work every day and then just watch Legend of Korra until I went to bed and then did that on repeat until I went through. Nice. Um, 
So you didn't know that television could be a meaningful medium until college, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> you're yes, like, oh. Well, now I get it. You're just like stuck on Yo Gabba Gabba until you were mm -hmm. like 21 or something. Hey, that just could be someone like jangling keys and <laughs> like shapes, colors, just things like that that are just really stimulating me. And I regressed to just watching TV like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have a little. As someone who uh, infamously watched, rewatched all of Digimon during quarantine, I understand what that's like to be like, ooh, bright lights. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I don't even remember that era. I, I don't. I couldn't. I don't. Oh, wow, okay. Some friend you are. <laughs> well, oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, we are here to talk about this episode and your spiritual age. Like we we said last week, we're kind of in the not terrible part of book two, in my opinion, um, which is an exciting time to be in. Um, yeah, so I completely um, agree. Mm -hmm. I, like like I said last week, like my everlasting impression was that book two was bad, but literally these past two episodes have been so good. And mm -hmm. so I'm just like, I'm so glad that I can like reframe my thinking around the book, uh, at least through these two episodes. Like I just, I just was dreading it so much and I, I've never rewatched these episodes, like I said. And so I'm just like, this is good. I don't know what, I don't know where that came from that I didn't like the, the back half of book two. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I remain vigilant in my wait for it to disappoint me, but so far it hasn't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Are you, Sean, when you were watching, since you, I assume were not part of like all the fandom -y discourse around Korra as it was airing, did you, what were your thoughts on book two as you were watching it? Uh, yeah, I remember it being like, I, well, from like, I haven't revisited Korra since I watched it all those years ago. And I remember book two, like, leaving like almost no impression <laughs> like i like i i like i can't remember how i felt about it at the time but like looking back and like going through i was just like scrolling through all the season like oh yeah i totally remember season one like all these different villains and i feel like like unalak i guess was the least interesting i guess so but the fact that i don't remember it very well it makes me think that i probably didn't really connect with it as much as i did the other ones when i was watching yeah that's a fair assessment i think um i not to spoil the next two seasons of the show, but Unalak is like easily the least interesting of any of the villains that we'll be introduced to, yeah. which is why it's funny that they have to inter introduce the giant flying evil eel to like sort of make him a little more interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's freed by the end of this episode. Surprise. Gagatrandra. Very nice. <laughs> I, yeah, no, the whole final confrontation of this episode was great for me. Uh, I agree, though, that Unalak is, especially just in direct comparison to Amon before, like, <laughs> Amon's goals and just, like, like they were just so clear. It's like, he hates vendors and wants to make them non-vendors just like him. And then <laughs> Unalak is like, he's from the north and he's the spiritual ways of the south, but also he's being manipulated by <laughs> the embodiment of evil and just like, it's like okay. <laughs> It's also so, like, I was, like, I didn't realize this. And in some sense, like, all the seasons, of course, the arc is, like, all leading up to, like, the big bad, like, the boss battle at the end of it. But I feel like this one has is such, like, a, like a naked, like, it's coming. Like, at this stage, we're going to fight. Like, it almost reminded me of, like, like WrestleMania promos when, like, you know, they would, like, come out and be, like, in a WrestleMania next month. Like, I'm going to fight and everything we've been doing, it's all leading up. We've got the date set, like mark your calendar, harmonic convergence. <laughs> Pay-per-view. It's it felt so like it's just so like a transparent, like we're building up to this. It's all coming. This is what matters to it. It's rather than like something like Amon where it's like the plan, it's evolving and like his whole goal and scheme just sort of unfolding more like 
in a narr normal narrative way, I guess. Yeah, and plus, um, just aesthetically, Unalak is like a lot less interesting than Amon. Um, and but I, yeah, I feel like um, freaking what's his name? Who's the evil? The uh, uh, not Vatu? Rava Vatu. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I was about to call him the like more unique like interesting one even though i cannot remember his goddamn name um but like visually he's more interesting than unalak um so i don't know maybe it's a sort of like well we know we have this cool design for this actual evil villain that we can use um so we'll just make unalak as um generic as possible yeah <laughs> yeah but i you know but just to we we got off on a sour note on an episode i enjoy uh but i let's start at the beginning i thought it was a, i thought it was good to before we get into the spirit world, we're sort of like with our little sibling trio out in the real world where Tenzin's really worried about Jinora. And during even during the scene, I like kind of forgot what happened in this episode. <laughs> I was just like, oh, he's worried for no reason. Jinora's going to be fine. She's like, just going into the spirit world. Um, and his siblings are being like, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. I actually really love that. It's like this little scene here because... Um... Like, there's a cute moment between, like, Tenzin and Boomy where Boomy's like, I'm just trying to help, and Tenzin's like, I know you are. Like, it's a moment of genuine niceness between these three, which we've seen, like, butt heads so much recently for drama, um, which has been compelling drama, but it's it's also nice to be reminded that they care about each other. Um, so, yeah, I like this little framing device much better than um, the framing device of the beginnings episodes, <laughs> where you're like, oh, yeah, we have a crappy actual storyline going on outside of uh this little folktale we're learning yeah i really yeah. wouldn't have minded like another scene of them in the outer world in the material world during this episode before cora wakes up just to like check in on them see how they're doing mm -hmm. saucy santana voice material world exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> but, but yeah so um like you said janora and cora end up in the spirit world with like a, a really cool like new like revamp of the spirit world um, I, we only really saw the spirit world in book one finale of Avatar, I believe, right? Yeah, this book, or this episode was really making me just be like, I wish they went there more often. Like, I, I, season one was, like, very much about the spirit world and, like, the Avatar's connection to the spirits, like, with Aang helping Heibai and then all of the stuff in the final episodes. And then, like, in the second two books, it's really more focused on the material conflict with the fire nation but then in this episode and in that season one finale it's just they they get so creative with the spirit designs that i just like would have loved to have seen it more and more often so i'm glad we're back yeah like speaking of like just bright shiny things and like just cool colors to look at the spirit world is gorgeous like i love its animation i had forgotten how much um it's sort of like like a ton of like princess mononoke sort of vibes for like this design of the spirits and like just the whole animation style was was great um and I, if I remember like I found myself thinking like oh they go in the spirit world and like Janora is supposed to be like her spiritual guide and she like just immediately runs off and like chases a butt like immediately it happens um and I remember like oh that's she's such a terrible guide but then being like, oh well it is like gorgeous like I probably would have done the same thing like, absolutely beautiful and like she says like oh it's look like jewels or something like that and be like you know what I can't knock you you are a child <laughs> like I would have done the same thing 100%. Yeah, it's it's very uh, Digimon-esque. Uh, you know, these kids get transported to a fantastical location and instantly get separated. Um, but yeah, I like that they play really into the sort of surreal, like, geography of the spirit world in this episode. Because um, we don't really get, we get like little hints of that in um, 
Avatar when he like catches the firefly and it, like teleports him or whatever, but it wasn't um, as intense as this sort of like phantasmagorical whatever, like getting swallowed by a crocodile plop, plops you in a forest. Um, like that's fun. Why yeah. not? I agree. And I, I felt like, I mean, they really leaned into a bunch of Alice in Wonderland uh, illusions as well in this episode. And then the followed by an alligator thing was making me think of Pinocchio too. Oh yeah, totally. I also really liked how they were using that, like that, like uh, elastic ge- geography of the spirit world, not just as like to do cool stuff, but like, like, I guess to like emphasize like a lot of the characters feelings and points like before Cora is about to like walk up the mountain she like turns back and Eero's like suddenly like miles and miles away. The whole like land stretches out, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, I don't know, really matches the sort of um, like mythological sort of feeling that we noted in um, the Avatar Wand story where like some stuff just feels like, doesn't feel like rooted in reality, but more so in like folklore. And so I think in the spirit world, it's like they're intentionally bringing that back in. Uh, even just from their first interaction with the meerkats, like spirits that Korra meets, um, like they come out of the ground and they, like when they, Junora's like, stop, you're like, emotions are making everything, you're like making them turn <laughs> evil and making everything worse. But like, even just down to like how the meerkats attack Korra, they do it in such like an unexpected way that you wouldn't like, if it was in a material creature, you nobody would design this like power set for this animal, but like they, <laughs> jump at Korra and then turn into these blue globs like from the Incredibles and then they're like weighing her down and then like then after they like trap them and surround them they like run around them in a circle like a hundred of them and then that forms a giant hole that they fall into it's just like we've never seen anything like this before mm-hmm. redefining so the Incredibles I was thinking the same thing <laughs> It had to have been like intentional. Like, there's no you couldn't you couldn't just do that and not be referencing those black sticky globs that we all mm. have been imprinted with in our memory. It's just like the one thing every single person knows about. Absolutely, it's so just really terrifying in that too. Mm-hmm. For some people, probably a great sexual awakening. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, it's they play a lot with this reality of it, um, and I do love that they bring in the idea of like. Um, emotions affecting the spirit world um, because it, it kind of plays into like the co the face dealer of it all of Aang having to control his emotions and Korra has to go on a similar journey but it's more about um, how Korra's negativity can like change everything around her and it's a, it is a great way to sort of bring in um, the bad Korra of like the first half of book two and be like see this is you know we're kind of making Korra realize that her disposition in the first half of the book was kind of bringing everyone down the vibe shifted in a bad way yeah and i also thought it was i i'm glad that jinora ended up being the guide and not tenzin because it i i felt like at every turn we were shown that like cora tries to do things on her own and like like tries to just like deal with things her own way and then every time we saw jinora in this scene at like the start, it was like her asking for help and being helped by somebody and instantly being given the answer and like shown the way to do the thing. So it's just like, that's it's okay to ask for help. And I felt like that was what they were trying to tell us with uh, like those separate storylines. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this one, I, I'm glad because and I think in the previous episodes like leading up when they're like discovering Janora's gift, like Tenzin is acting so petulant um, and like, it's just, 
it's really annoying. But uh, finally, for this one, not to like jump ahead in the episode, just first like connecting with uh, his siblings, and then also obviously like him caring so much for Denora and like the fear that you know you can see um, at the episode's end. But again, jumping far ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great um, sort of note to end on for for these characters. Um, but yeah, so they they are here. They're like they get swept swept away, separated from each other. Like we said, Janora ends up um, meeting her. What's his name? Fluffy foot? Some furry foot? Fur, furry foot? Mm, furry foot. That's two different fetishes. Yeah. Name. <laughs> furry and foot. Yeah, another awakening. <laughs> um, and so they go off and they go to Wan Chi Tong's library, which is like a great callback. I like that this episode. I mean, it is very fan service-y, but, like, uh, who cares? I'm a fan. Please service me. Like, this is great. <laughs> I agree and disagree. I, like, feel like they could either do the library or Iroh, but doing both in 20 minutes, I was just like, choose one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was worth it just for the radio joke and just the idea of, like, I love that rule of, like, this magical library and you can only enter if you tell them the librarian something they don't know like that is uh i it's too great of a premise and too much fun to not like revisit and play with and have denora uh like just that entire conversation is just so wonderful so i feel like yeah definitely i can see the fan service but for something that's that fun and silly and like you know with little fox who lies to the librarian too i, I just i i think it's so much fun <laughs> This scene also calls back to like a Genora character trait that they like started exploring in the last episode or maybe before or yeah, no, this has always been a part of her where she's like, she is really into knowing about the Avatar's adventures and like previous Avatar's lives. And so like she sees the dead professor from like the Avatar show and like instantly knows who it is and like it just like knows who Wan Thong is and she like knows about the library just because she's like so into the like superhero myth of the previous avatars yeah she's just like us where she rewatched those episodes a lot because there's that big break in you know the middle of book two so she's she's very familiar with um that two-parter we love yeah. someone obsessed with the lore um but. and she knows how radios work which i honestly at 12 years old i don't think i would but i okay i was just thinking about this memory a, a couple days ago and i don't know why it stuck it's why it kind of came up for me but i was thinking about in fifth grade once like i had i knew i was visiting a different school because i was going to transfer and so i was like in a science class and i don't know why but i like said mentioned that i knew what the word laser stood for which is light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation and i told that to someone in my class and then that that guy told my teacher she he was like hey like sam knows what laser stands for and then the science teacher was like so do i <laughs> <laughs> and now, now and i like i don't i don't remember what my memory to that or what my reaction to that was in that in the moment but now i'm like i was literally a 10 year old like why are you competing with me um she got you right together yeah so <laughs> that's, that's a very uh very tense and genora dynamic mm. like, he's, <laughs> he's been trying to learn what laser stands for his entire life but not his <laughs> nose immediately at 12 yeah non Wan Chi Tong over there, uh, she knew the correct <laughs> meaning of the word laser. Um, <laughs> and I was like, go off, you guess you are the science teacher. That's <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and I do love in, um, while we're here in this library sort of section, um, I love that Janora like reminds me a lot of Aang here. I, like, 
for some reason, like that moment when she interacts with the fox, like felt very ang to me, just like the sort of like quiet sort of like, oh, thank you, buddy, for helping me. This is perfect. Like, that's just, like such an ang thing to do. Um, I just I love that. I love whenever we get those parallels between her and her grandpa. Yeah, her interactions with Furryfoot, I felt like were also ang like where she just like they got to the spirit world. She saw Furryfoot and he was large in this world and she was just like, you're huge here. And then it was sort of like, that's it. No more. No need. to. It's just like, that's the truth yeah yeah she rolls with them she's a slayer um and at the uh, same time that jenora is in this like grand green beautiful land um and then travels to the library coral ends up in like the creepiest forest in all of animation um and is so terrified by what she sees there that she transforms herself into her baby form Again, with the Digimon parallels that happens in the Digimon movie, they get like regressed into children. I'm telling you, there's something here. Also, Digimon devolve back into their baby form. They do. <laughs> um, and I, I live for the spirits in this forest. There's the, like this like one shot of these random ones who are like just like serving like they have like their cinch for the gods. They have these long, beautiful wigs on. I, I was living for these even, spirits. Even just the background spirits, like there was one that was like two hands put together like crawling around uh that was like kind of like a spider but really like four fingers at the front and four fingers curled up at the back like crawling itself around it was just on a tree somewhere and i was just like this is we should really be going to the spirit world way more just so i could see more of this stuff yeah like what's that story right like let's follow the hands spirits <laughs> I, I do love how like they are so like the like fantastical like that but they are they're also like have such very human qualities you know i think that there's like this idea of like because they're spirits they're sort of like these like imperfect beings of a higher plane and like in some ways they are but they're also like petty and they have like different like like the whole thing with like the meerkats and this like being like hey she tried to bend at us like they're have like these just just very human sort of like flaws and 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 mm -hmm. reasons, which I, I really enjoy too yeah, they're all kind of assholes. I love that. <laughs> Which is like, then why is Iroh like so into just like chilling with them? Because as we find out here, um, we happen upon uh, Iroh um, as Kor leaves the forest after like smacking the shit out of this little cute little bird thingy. Um, yeah. Yeah, which um, is this little bird is so cute. I like we've we've been talking about the spirit designs. I think this is maybe my favorite though, because it's just like a little creature you can hold. Um, one one hundred percent buy a plushie if they. I I don't know if they ever made one, but um, please do. Yeah, it was very very cute, and but like I don't you know if I had been stuck in like a very scary forest for up to an hour or even after one second, I could understand wanting to swat something that's flying near your face, and so I definitely don't begrudge Cora for defending herself absolutely but it's it's kind of concerning that it ends up with like holes in it like how hard did she hit that thing <laughs> it's like cigarette burns on its wing it's pretty it's messed like, up yeah, it has a full hole in its body after this like child just just happened <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah uh, <laughs> uh so she scoops him up um and carries him over to this like little i don't know how to just like a little um there's like a hut and then almost like a mad hatter sort of tea party going on um, and Ira's just chilling there with these, like, married, like, conjoined frog people. Yeah, this was, I, this was amazing. <laughs> the frog wedding between two frogs who, I mean, seemingly 
have been living in the same body for centuries uh and they just got married and uh they're already arguing like an old married couple i love the frog people uh love would have loved this like the hand like it's sort of like what's what's going on there <laughs> what's happening uh in their spirit world but yeah no uh cora is at the tea party and like it's revealed that iroh has juan's teapot that he used to carry rava around in they're just such similar names um <laughs> And he says that all tea, cups of tea poured from the teapot, you could still taste the light in. Whatever that means. <laughs> it's one of our first hints at Iroh's dialogue to come. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I love this um, little scene, though, because it's very, like, to me, very queer-coded, because it's like, Korra's like, oh, you two can get married? Like, it's very, like, Iroh's like, yeah, you can marry anyone you want, Korra. Like, instantly recognizing you know young queer child like yes you can marry anyone you so choose little girl i mean i feel like iroh having met previous the previous avatar and i just feel like people and i feel like iroh probably has met other avatars since he's lived in the spirit world for years now like i just feel like he's very aware that I just feel like the Avatar myth is so queer in ways because it's the same spirit marrying and falling in love with different people across generations. And it's just like, yeah, like even if it was just Aang was in love with Katara and then Rose Reborn and is now in love with Mako, it's like, okay, but like that is a a bisexual myth honestly yeah i mean it's like a female spirit in like a male body and also like if you spend two seconds around Aang, i'm sure you're like bisexual. that boy is gay <laughs> and i really believe that yes exactly um and so yeah so they have this cute little tea party um and here's where cora like really starts to learn that her her moods can really you know make these creatures turn purple which is bad yeah i, I do love the um like how great they are at designing like every spirit having that like good form or the dark form, which again, I feel like not to bring it back to Digimon or Pokemon or any of those, but like very like uh, XD, like, you know, um, the old GameCube Pokemon games with like mm. just those dark versions. And I just love like seeing the dogs turn into wolves and seeing, you know, later how um, Furryfoot like evolves. Um, so like seeing that like really like, you know, her emotions change them so quickly and being able to see that like before and after so starkly, I just thought was, was so fun. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I, yeah. The creature design is like one of the many, many reasons where it's like, we could have just been in the spirit world all season. Why not? That would have been fun. Um, but you know, we had I, to learn about uh, back. I don't fucking know the sting. I don't, <laughs> we had to waste time on that. I guess. I would have loved to see Bolin interact with some of these spirits for sure. Absolutely. Like, uh, whatever we don't need to get into the wasted potential of book two because we're enjoying book two right now this is fine um, yeah um we Cora learns that her like especially iris is like because she's the avatar her emotions especially are like what is affecting the world and like the spirits around her um and i because it just it does seem like the other people we see go into the spirit world are relatively at peace with themselves so we don't really see like what an iro outburst would how that would affect the world but like when Gora gets upset like the whole sky darkens and like everybody turns evil and it's just like okay yeah we need to calm down 
Mm, absolutely. Um, and I, I love that she's like instantly very willing to like listen to him. Like I feel like this is showing that Cora has gone through like a little bit of a change here um, where she's no longer like questioning authority at every turn. She's like, okay, yeah, I will try this. I'll just try chilling out. Why not? Um, and also, yeah, I need to go on a mountain journey. Sure. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she, I guess, um, Iro, after giving her, like we said, like a million different fucking aphorisms about finding the light in the dark, which is, you know, that's cool. I get it. Like you said, we've had like a book and a half away from any Iro talk. So we kind of kind of get them all out there. Um, but yeah, so she uh, learns that she needs to, I guess, return the dragon to the nest to find Janora. I mean, it makes sense in like spirit world logic. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think I like for us, I felt like for the first couple scenes where Janora was in the library we didn't really know why she was there like i i just uh, to me anyway i was just like i don't think i found out why she's like looking or what she's looking for but ultimately she needs to find a map to the spirit portals so that she because she assumes cora will be going there and i was like that makes sense um and then cora does the i agree that it like doesn't actually logically track like cora has to do this bird quest in order to do whatever like but because it's the spirit world, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you got to help somebody, then they'll help you. And the ultimately, we all are working together, etc. But I was honestly really upset when Wan Chi Tong betrayed Junora. Like, I, and honestly, I should have seen it coming because Aang obviously lied to Wan Chi Tong 100 years ago. And so why would he actually help? someone who's there on behalf of the avatar but at the same time i was like oh my god and then unalak was there i like truly it i was surprised like i I didn't remember that this happened and i was just like yeah i agree like i feel like the first hint is when um Janora's like, oh, I'm with the Avatar, and Wanji Tong's like, oh, why didn't you mention that? Um, and, like, at first it comes across as, like, kind of a plot hole, or, like, wait, he hates the Avatar, like, why would he do that? But that's, like, your sort of foreshadowing of, like, oh, he for sure is about to go snitch uh, with Unalak. Um, which, again, is, like, I don't know, it, it points out how, like, Unalak's whole backstory is very, like, not ground, like, we have no idea. Like, how the fuck does he know Wanji Tong? When did this happen? <laughs> like, um but you know what i like all this stuff like works here in this moment so i'm I'm willing to forgive um the sins of the first half of the book yeah i'm glad you i'm glad you guys said that because i did i completely forgot about like i remember wong shitong but i remember like it also i felt the same way i'm like oh that feels kind of shoehorned that he just like betrays her but that totally makes sense. I completely forgot that like Aang had lied and that that line about like, oh, why didn't you say you're with the Avatar? That that totally tracks. But I was also, you know, and this is maybe getting into like, I don't want to get into too like IMDB plot holes and things like that. But like, I don't understand how like Unilock knows like where, like how does he know that I guess um, Janora is in the spirit world at the library? Like, I don't like that communication between him and Wong Shaitan. Like, I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe Sam described himself as Cinema Sins dinging a lot this season. So <laughs> I, you're right there with us. We're, okay, it's, cool. it's it's a totally understandable um, instinct when you're watching this season. I think because there are a lot of in, like things that just simply don't make sense. Um, and it's, it's a okay bad to habit to be in, but I can't not admit that I am in it. I am in that <laughs> habit, and it's unfortunate. I'd like to stop, but then every time I watch an episode of the show, I'm just sort of like, why is this happening? <laughs> I do think ultimately, though, like, again, like, it's, like you said, like, it's 
just it works so i forget it like i would it's great that unilog shows up and they've, they've got this thing like you know there, there's only so much of like inner conflict and like spiritual sort of wrestling like i at one point i would like to see them like fight a bad guy Absolutely. so i'm glad he shows up but i'm glad he's here and i unilog? love that Mm-hmm. Oh, just... and, oh, sorry. During the conversation, Unalak is like, I can't believe you. your dad let you come in here instead of him. And Jinora's <laughs> like, you suck as a dad. It's like, there's no way she would actually know what happened when he, like, didn't care that his son got hurt. But I was, like, glad she said that because I was like, you can't be criticizing Tenzin when you, like, basically wanted your son, wanted to leave your son for dead, like, 20 minutes ago. Thank you. That's exactly what I was about to, like, give a shout out to Janora for, like, being so quick at the comeback, like, instantly is, like, you are a horrible father. Like, I love that so much. It made me laugh. Um, That's the kind of, like, I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk about bad dads in Avatar The Last Airbender, but I felt like there wasn't, it was obviously given a lot of weight in Avatar The Last Airbender, and it was never, like, this kind of quick comeback. So it's just a funny dynamic because there are so many adult characters in Legend of Korra. <laughs> like we can really compare and contrast the different fatherhoods. <laughs> Where it's like, this guy sucks. And Tenzin was really worried. And this guy doesn't care about his son or daughter, like literally at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. She she read the shit out of him. Um, but, you know, unfortunately it doesn't stop him from spirit bending. I don't know, like trapping her in purple water. I still am not, I'm not quite clear. I think it's just because she's, they like their spirits are here so they can be manipulated like a spirit can be yeah i think that's it <laughs> yes also, but also period. like what i would have because well i think it's also because well i guess if they didn't have a strong spiritual connection they wouldn't be able to make it into the spirit world but he's really only been shown doing this i think to cora and junora and we know they both have strong spiritual connections yeah i was also curious when he's fighting with cora and I don't know, maybe this is just a previous, they explained this in a previous episode, but why he can still bend in the spirit world because he entered in a different way, like through the portal. Is that, do they ever explain like why, like if you go through the portal, you keep your bending, but if you just- they talk, Yeah, they talked about that in, was it last episode or the episode before? But it's like when he and the um, his twins like came through, they were like, we can bend here because we came through the portal. Like they are, their physical bodies are there. Um, so that like is consistent, but it also is just like another thing that's like, sure, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> I think it makes sense. I feel like bending has always been like about the body and like if you're not physically in the spirit world, it makes sense to me. And it tracks consistently with what we saw in Avatar The Last Airbender that like you can't bend. But because he came through the spirit portal at the South Pole or uh, yeah, at the South Pole, he is able to bend there. That also, totally makes oh yeah, yeah. That, that totally makes sense. I didn't realize that they had like he has he's corporeal there, whereas um Cora is like I guess a project like an actual production type deal. She's yeah, corporeal. Got it. Okay, that, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. I'm I'm with you too. Like I like the idea of bending having to have that physical sort of like element to it. That totally makes sense. I just wanted to add corporeal. Um, we also, during this scene, right before we get the ultimate betrayal, Junora reads out of a book that, um, if both spirit portals are open during harmonic convergence, then Vatu will be able to break out. Kind of seems like something I wanted to know one minute, more than one minute before it happened. Yeah, like, oopsie daisy. Probably should have realized, I mean, I don't know, I feel like once Cora probably could have connected those dots, 
uh, right? I feel like that's kind of mentioned in the Wan backstory. It's like, you know, if these two things are open, then he could, has the ability to be freed or something. I don't know. So it makes sense. Um, it's, I don't know, very Marvel-esque to like <laughs> have to stop the big blue pillar of light um, from being a big pillar of light. Um, but whatever, I can forgive it. It's a cool little like zone that they're in here, a good little battle zone. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see this ultimate conflict that I can assume is coming because, um, by the end of this episode, we have Janora's spirit is kidnapped. The, both the portals are open. Um, and Unalak seems to be, you know, has all the cards in his hands. Yeah. I also love that it's called, the event is called Harmonic Convergence. It's so, it feels so like weirdly scientific and like official, like it's something out of like an engineering textbook and not like this this wonderful, you know, fantasy series. Right. Well, as we saw, it has something to do with the planets aligning, which is weird. I, we didn't know we were in like a solar system here. <laughs> we didn't know planets. I don't know. But I, like you said, I kind of like that aspect of it. It's very, I don't know what to compare it to, almost like um, like Evangelion or something. Something that like, has weird sort of metaphysical reality that we can just like sort of throw at you and like not go any deeper with. Like, yeah, okay, that's a thing that happens. Sure, why not? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also liked when they show the harmonic convergence in the planets that um, in this universe, more planets have like rings, which I feel like is a good plus up. I've always felt that the planets should have more rings. We should have more Saturns and less like Mercuries. If that makes oh. sense. 100% agree. I love the rings on planets. Like, I wish Earth had a ring. I, like, I don't, just, I, every planet should have a ring. I don't understand why any planet would ever be designed without a ring. And I live for the double rings that you see sometimes. Like, yeah, I agree. It's like a, a the yesification of a planet. It comes with the rings, but, you know. And I know that Saturn usually gets all the love for having a ring, but I've also loved... Uh, I love Neptune's ring, and it's sort and it's stylized to be more vertical compared to Saturn's horizontal ring, even though it's a planet and it kind of is all up to your decision which direction is up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very uh, queer. I, I I do like the, like the understatedness. I'm sure Neptune like looks at Saturn's ring and be like, "That's so gaudy, like geez, <laughs> we get it. It's so it's too much. Something it's a too drag. Understated, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do. I Neptune even had a ring, to be honest. Oh, yeah. yeah, it, it tries to make it, you know, less thought about, you know, it's, it's just sort of like there. It's not, it doesn't make it its whole thing. Exactly. It's, you know, it doesn't have to scream for attention like some, some planets. Um, I do yeah, wonder so, if mm -hmm. the planets in this universe are further connected to the spirit world beyond harmonic convergence. Because before this, really, the only astral body we knew anything about was the moon. And we knew that the moon spirit had come to Earth a long time ago, and it lives in the North Pole, and it's UA, and she's the moon. But, like, we've never really thought about or heard about any other planet before this, and I just kind of wonder if they are spirits as well. I mean, I think we are all kind of dancing around the, the thing we really want from uh, Avatar Studios is a Sailor Moon-esque planet, deity, people connection. Um, I just think, yeah, that's what we all really want deep down. Right to your congressperson, you know? <laughs> Please contact uh, whoever you, I don't know, the fire Although department near you. I don't know. Contact someone, call someone up and let them know that that's what you want. Get the number for your local Viacom and let them know. Paramount oh. Plus, Nintendo <laughs> or Avatar Studios. Yes, we need we need all the voices we can 
you can get. Um, but yeah, so uh, we get this whole confrontation here where um, Unalak shows that he can just like kind of at will make the spirits evil um, and have them do his bidding. Um, these cute, cute little like lion dog creatures are here the whole time. I love their design. I was um, going to say those are my favorite spirits of the episode, both their evil and good versions. They ruled. Mm-hmm. They're so cute. Um, but yeah, so uh, they all kind of help orchestrate this um, kidnapping of Janora's spirit. Um, and Korra kind of gets, she escapes back into her body. Um, and we have this like really devastating scene that ends the episode where Tenzin's like cradling Janora's lifeless body. Like what happened? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great way to end the episode and sort of bring us into these last few episodes of the season. I agree. I feel like this kind of ending of an episode is something almost unique to Korra. Like, I can't think of something similar to this in Avatar. This level of just, like, despair, basically. I feel like there's always some, like, light of hope, like Ira was talking about in episodes of Avatar. But in this, it's like, my daughter is God, and I'm panicked. And, like, that's just where we leave you for the week. Yeah, I mean, not enough can be said about J.K. Simmons' entire performance um as Tenzin but like that scene especially just like oh man like yeah despair I think is is definitely the right word it just it, it's come through it comes through so much and just that like his eyes are animated in this like insane like almost like pleading but also like crazed way it's great mm-hmm. yeah plus like you said we've never really seen something to this level in Avatar at least like not in like a season finale like maybe uh, the part usually the part one will like end on a note down note like this uh, but nothing like to this level of like one of our main characters has been like ta- like essentially she's like de- uh, dead in a sense or like her body is just like a shell right now um and we have to live with that for uh, like three four more episodes of the season yeah this is another parallel to ang too where ang had the same thing happen where he he couldn't get back to his body mm-hmm. yes um Aang was the blueprint for sure for Janora. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but it's like a darker version of it. And I'm so excited to get to the end of this book, um, which, you know, had a different context before when I would say that I'm like, I'm so ready to get done with book two. But now, yeah, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm ready for all the amazingness that is coming our way. Yeah. And I can't really remember what happens, but I hope there is um, cor- some Cora reflecting on her place in causing the end of the world where like I honestly I understand where she's coming from and I would save Junora from anything but she did open the spirit portal in order to allow Vatu to come free and then didn't even rescue Junora in the end so really just two in the hand were not worth one in the bush or whatever uh she did not accomplish her goal yes that's a very Ira thing to say I'm sure um Um, but yeah, so um, I don't know, Sean, any other concluding thoughts on this episode um, before we, you know, head off into the sunset? No, I, I do think it was a, a definite a definite high watermark for, for book two. Um, I did, like, in full disclosure, instead of just jumping right in, I, I went back. I think I started at Beginnings Part 1 um, and just watched those just so I, like, had some, was, was not going in totally blind. Um, and I feel like of those three or four episodes I watched, this was probably the strongest one. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel like, um, fortunately, this yeah, the back half of book two is like actually building. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, 
I guess like and from what I can remember and like what they're handing out the episodes, but it, it seems like the second half of book two is really just about Cora undoing everything she did in the first half of book two, <laughs> which can feel like it feels a little counterproductive, I guess, or that's probably why it's not as like interesting. And Sam, why you raised like a good point of like, well, I hope she has like she has this recognition, be like, well, I have done all of this, and this is everything I'm doing now is just redoing everything I did two weeks ago or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like kind of, it's like Cora's kind of like in the writer's position where they're like, well, we set up all this terrible shit for our characters here. I guess we have to undo it now, um, which I don't know. It's like an interesting way to structure a season or an interesting way to write it. Um, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm enjoying it in the moment. And I think that makes it worthwhile, um, even if those episodes we had in the beginning were um, a slog, to say the least. 100% agreed. Um, very happy now that we've revisited. I almost wanted to stop after we did just Avatar. I was like, well, I hate the first two entire seasons of this next show, so I don't really want to do this. But now I'm really, really glad we did. Um, I'm really enjoying this uh, now. <laughs> just It only took 20 episodes. Yes, much like Iroh told us, we had to look for the light in the dark, and we have finally found it, baby. We're coming. Okay, that actually works now. They were talking about their own writing. I like that. It's like, yeah, look for the good and the bad things we make, guys. That's what they're just asking you to do. That's pretty meta. Like, that's really smart. Very meta. Of them. We have to that's go to the spirit world to have a meta episode. I would <laughs> yeah. I would love it if this had turned into a Rick and Morty-esque meta commentary on their own show. Uh, just to Lord book and the, uh, oh, what's the one they do in Avatar, the first one, where it's the incredible oh, the Ryland Ryland players? There, thank you. That's the one, yeah. Because I don't think they do anything like that in Korra, like a retrospective or some sort of anything like that, is there? There's something there, it, similar. They're like, this is our this is our version of that, but it's not the same thing um, yeah. at all. It's not quite a Lexi's play in Euphoria, is, is what I assume the... To be a ver- make a very timely reference. Um, it's more of a clip show than anything else. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would... Right, we'll get there when we get there. We don't need to jump too far ahead. Um, but, yeah. So, um, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hopefully, I don't know, not the last we hear from you. Would, lo- would love to have you back on to talk um, more Korra. Um, and, I mean... Now that we're going to be in books three and four, presumably when you have you back, um, you're for sure going to get a good episode out of it, no matter what. So that's a good thing. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This was so much fun. I loved revisiting this and having a great excuse to come back to the show. And now I like, again, just watching those couple episodes leaning up, I'm like, oh, I got to get back into this. And now I like just want to skip to like the metal bending and things like that and like all, all that sort of fun stuff. So I would love to come back on um, and for the later books. I feel like all of our guests are like, and then I just kept watching the show. <laughs> After they watched the episode that they were on for, they're like, well, I'll put on the next one. I'm absolutely going to keep watching it after I hang up on this call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that is the goal, you know. Um, but, well, uh, Sean, do you want to tell the good people where they can find you on the internet or if you have anything you want to plug? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean, S-E-A-N, um, Matt M. A C G O. Um, if you want to go to my website, it's Sean McGowan Writes, and you can see comedy I've written there um, for like places like New Yorker and McSweeney's and things like that. Um, and I also contribute to Clickhole. Uh, so if I would just, I'm just going to plug Clickhole because I want it to keep going because I really enjoy 
contributing headlines for it. And like all digital media, it is it is uh, it's it's tough out there. So go just yes. go to Clickhole, start clicking on links. I think we all want Clickhole to just live forever. So to outlive us, even. Um, so yes, I, I fully support that. Um, uh, what about you, Sam? Where can people find you? Oh, baby, you know you can follow me at Sam Stanish on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, in this podcast, App Editors Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Sure. Uh, well, you can find me at Rain Dierks on Twitter. Um, and you can also listen to my other podcast with our good friend, Christine Palin, uh, Shadow Play Gays. You can uh, at Shadow Play Gays on Twitter, where we talk about the 1997 anime revolutionary girl, Utena. We are almost to the end of that show. We just talked about one of the most devastating 22 minutes of television ever made. So definitely check that out. Um, yeah. So that's where you can find me. Um, Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Sean, again so much for joining us. Um, and we will see you next week. That's Bye. Good. That's good, guys. Bye. Bye.